Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Um, we're going to touch on a topic for the first time here. I mean, we've done a ton of bricks and mortar and pointing and things of that nature. But we're going to talk about uh, classical stucco. So, uh, you know, finding formulas and restoration and what happens to it, yada, yada. So, uh, so yes, st stucco is an ancient armor-tough covering especially as used over masonry in the Mediterranean world. It tends to fare less well, however, in the deep frost snow belt in North America. And that's all because of the freeze-thaw issue, such as in the case of, uh, we're taking an example here, Edith Wharton's home. The mount in the hills of Lenox, Massachusetts. The ongoing restoration of this landmark building presents a unique opportunity to learn about what's possible with large-scale early century stucco. By the mid-1980s, um, when Edith Wharton Restoration Inc. assumed care of the building, its four stories of marble white finish coated shows clear areas of delamination as well as extensive cracks and spalls. So the uh, so tests have indicated that every uh, 20 inches or so, that was uh, a loss of the bond in the entire house. So every 20 inches around the entire dwelling, architectural dwelling, the bond was starting to relieve itself. Worst of all, perhaps, uh, were years of well-intentioned patches and repairs with hard Portland cement, which is really incompatible, and this added more damage to the surface, and it was quite unsightly, trying to get that same texture as the original. Very difficult. So even if it was practical to find all the sound areas and totally replicate with original mix, the historic patches would look like holes in a Swiss cheese of newer stucco, of different ages of flexibility. So that's exactly what we're talking about. All these different patches and not just different patches, but different patches over different times. The, the material, point A, B, C, and D, if they were all applied at different times in the last 100, 150 years, they're flexing, they, their flexibility changes. And when flexibilities change, then things relieve themselves. Furthermore, the scratch and brown coats, which compromise 80 to 90% of the system, we're still in good shape, since these coats actually are the details of the building. The quans, and again, some of us call them cornerstones, raised panels and moldings. It was clear the finished coat could be treated as a sacrificial layer, ready for complete renewal. So finding the formulas was the trick. Faithfully representing the finish that required researching appropriate finishing methods and materials. So at first was trying to match the crisp, smooth surface texture. So after doing a variety of testing of tools on sample panels, um, the, the research just decided that the steel floats followed up by rubber floats produced the best results. So the float, if people don't know it, is the final kind of like a trowel that you create the texture going across. 
So sometimes you have to create your own floats out of wood. It's not just steel, rubber, but back in the day when these houses, um, these 19th century, early 20th century mansions were uh, complete, uh, one used their own floats and created their own floats. So the other critical issue for the stucco was the the mortar mixes for each of the coats. And we talked just talked about that flexibility. As with all historic masonry restoration, new mortar must not be harder than the existing mortar or there will be damage to the surface. The age of the building hinted that the stucco might be an old style soft lime stucco. That is the, the simple lime and aggregate mix <clears throat> common before Portland cement became quite popular. Indeed, when, when we did laboratory analysis on the coats came right on target with documented historic proportions. The final mix was part one of hydrated lime and two and a half parts of crushed marble stone plus one twelfth to one fifteenth parts of white Portland cement. <clears throat> the Portland cement added to increase setup time was a modern concession so small it would not affect the hardness. The scratch coat was the hardest of at three quarters lime, one cement, two sand. The brown, which was the second coat used, an intermediate mix of three quarter lime, one cement, and four sand. So let's talk about some of the big cracks and the little cracks. So once the course was set to replace the entire finished coating kind, the first repair step became removing all the ailing material. Originally, the strategy had been to go gently and blast the surface with a baking soda medium or something like baking soda or maybe even go a little more abrasive like walnut, uh, walnut husk. However, the hard Portland repairs proved too tenuous. So it wound up by peeling the surface away with hand pneumatic power chisels. They returned to blasting, however, Remarkably, um, this system, delicate enough to remove graffiti off of houses, had the power to clean the brown coat of any residual stucco finish, leaving the original brown coat scratches quite sharp, deep, and ready for good mechanical bond with a new finished coat of lime. Besides nine years uh, of settling, uneven maintenance, the stucco suffered worst of all from direct water contact through splashback. So splashback is water hitting the, the ground and hitting plants and hitting any other ornaments, you know, close to the, uh, the base of the dwelling and splashing back on it. And leaking eave soffits and gutters and split or missing downspouts and gutters. So again, we, you know, water is the ultimate enemy of architecture, the ultimate, the sun also, but water is the ultimate enemy. So in these areas, excessive deterioration indicated the restorers had to rebuild the full system. For the most part, though, repairs were limited to either cracks or patches. To repair average cracks, these had to be dug out, or the stucco had to be dug out to about an inch and a half width, working down to the lath and undercutting the edges to a 30 degree angle. So just imagine if you were a woodcarver taking a, a huge V-tool and finding that crack and digging it out and then making additional reparations into the, the V area to try and uh, create angles and, 
and voids for a good mechanical bond coming up. Then you prepare the edges with the masonry bonding agent and fill the void in stages with matching scratch and brown coats of mortar. Small cracks and fissures were simply treated with bonding agents, then sutured with small mesh fiberglass tape to prevent their return under the new finish. Large cracks and patches received the same treatment around the perimeter to reinforce the bond between the old and the new mortar. So now we're trying to get a marble smooth finish to match the original. Applying the new finish coat meant working essentially from the inside out, that is, first the big areas such as the fields between windows, then the details such as the quans and raised panels. Moreover, the stucco crew had to complete whole sections at a time uh, when working on this, this huge house, working from top of the building down, stopping halfway, then resuming plastering could leave cold or unbonded joints in the stucco that would show up in the cracks or other flaws at a time. So let's just re-experience this. So, you know, you can't do the, in the perfect world, we could bring a crew in, um, if you had a large house and do the entire side in one day, almost impossible with all the details on some of these classical and revival type homes. So your, your stopping points are pivotal and their stopping points can't be straight lines. They must be skewed lines and, and lines that are not smooth because it's so important to pick up the next day with the next mechanical bond. So, and again, on huge projects, this type of project takes teamwork as well as skill and experience. So, so generally, one man uh, could apply stucco with a steel float and would be followed up immediately by another with a rubber float. So while no problem appears after the first winter, it may be apparent that the stucco absorbed water in bad weather since repeated cycles of wet-dry stucco raised the potential for damage down the road. So many restorers have to decide to paint the stucco with, with a certain kind of paint, which um, what I recommend is a chyme paint, which is a uni unique silica-based masonry coating. So this proves a good match with the stucco and should help keep its alabaster beauty for many decades to come. So let's uh, just talk about a, a, and we'll finish up here with just a, a little bit of history about stucco. So. So a flush with success as a novelist, and even more importantly, a design, um, Edith Wharton, in, in her book, The Decoration of Houses, she set out in 1901 to realize her own vision of classical architecture in the Berkshire Mountains of Western Massachusetts. Her richly detailed mansion, the one that you know I've been talking about here that had to have a re-stucco, a restoration of preservation, the mount was modeled on European villas of marble and stone, yet executed in the humbler construction of a stucco skin over a hemlock balloon frame. Ironically, there is no mention to stucco in any of the surviving construction documents for the mount. In fact, the original specs call for an exterior of terracotta and local Lee marble. At some time during its early stages, the building cladding switched to stucco, probably as an econ economical, economical move. Uh, fortunately for the restorers, 
the original builders did not come out, did, <coughs> did not cut corners here. So this was done properly when it was first done. Their stucco system is anchored by heavy galvanized wire lath. And this was in that type, in that time, an advanced material at the turn of the century. Equally lucky was finding that it was in very good condition. Had the lath been plain steel, it surely would have rusted where the water penetrated the mortar coats and the whole system would have failed and this would have been a total tear off. The stucco told other tales. The restorers found bits of charcoal in the base coats indicated that heated water in the mortar. Some areas even showed crystals characteristic of cold weather work. Building the massive house in a little more than 15 months must have meant pushing the building season to its end limits with the aid of some good weather and a few tricks of the trade. So anyway, hopefully uh, this brought to light uh, what's involved when you see that stucco house from the 1920s across uh, or as you drive through uh, some of the older neighborhoods of our of our country. So Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out.